0: so this is new for us. We're actually recording this intro on Zoom.
1: We are, because like everyone, it's, a, it's like a lo- the law of the land is stay away from each other, six feet social distancing, wear a mask if you go outside, and all communication has to be done via Zoom, right? I think those are the three things.
0: Right. It's the end of privacy
1: as we know it. That's right. This is being beamed straight to Vladimir Putin.
0: Putin? <laughs> Putin, Putin? We're powered by? Putin. Ooh. speaking of <laughs> speaking of who are we pat pa- pa- power
1: by P-p-p-p-p-p- operatic. Yeah, man. Went for it. Went for it. Here's
0: something I I realized. People have no idea who we're powered by.
1: Because it just doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely unintelligible. That's a fair point. We are powered by the single best sports. No, what am I talking about sports? The single best website that has ever been created. It's true. P-E-E-G-S dot com your one-stop shop for all things Indiana, basketball, sports, football-related. Recruiting news, you know, analysis of games, uh, just anything you could possibly want. And in a time like this where there are no sports, how often are you checking peaks?
0: Well, it is uh, my bastion, as, as it often is, you know, in times of trouble, in times of celebration. Uh, uh, for IU basketball, it's 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 where you go to be with the community, to feel others who feel your pain, who feel your joy. And all of that has just increased tenfold now that we don't have basketball, nor the ability to go to the grocery store without putting on a hazmat suit.
1: <laughs> I would damn near say that when I find myself in times of trouble, Father Beggs comes to me. <laughs> Speaking words of recruiting, let it be. Let it peaks. Let it peaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, look, we did this interview that we're about to uh, segue into a couple weeks ago, and, and a couple quick caveats. Number one, the quality is worse. We apologize for the quality because we were experimenting with how to do these without being in the same physical space. And this was one of the first ones we did. And we used a platform that just wasn't great. So we apologize. We think it's intelligible. We think you can make it out. Yep. And if it weren't for the fact that this is just one of the absolute legends of Indiana basketball with a career that would really, really, really examine it, is one of the best careers that anybody has had at Indiana University.
0: Or beyond.
1: Or beyond. It's true. And if it weren't for that fact, we probably would have stopped it early on and then tried to reschedule it. But we wanted to get this guy, and we just figured the fan base is like us. You'll deal with a little lesser quality for amazing, uh, amazing content.
0: Well, And look, just think of it this way. It's like you're on a four-way call with the three of us, right? its its uh, It just has the aesthetic of a phone call rather than we're in our super luxurious recording studio in my Glendale garage.
1: Totally. Uh, We apologize for it, but we will not apologize for the fact that, I mean, this guy is just greatness. I mean, his career is incredible. Like you said, his post IU career is incredible, but what he went through at Indiana, the highs of the highs, the lows of the lows in a tumultuous time at Indiana from really figuring out what was Indiana basketball post the 1976 perfection and what, what was it going to be, you know, mm-hmm. was it going to start an era of Indiana greatness or was 76 going to be a shining moment that could not be a touched again. And this guy and his teammates, but really him in a leadership role, so responsible for making it an era of Indiana basketball.
0: And look, talking to this gentleman, I couldn't help but start to draw comparisons with intensity and focus and competitive fire than a young man we just talked to by the name of Trey Galloway. Mm. (laughs) So I'm not saying... Trey is going to come in and become the the new this guy, certainly not right away as a freshman, but there's there is a persona and personality there that worked really well for Indiana in the past. And I like, I like seeing those traits from some of the young guys because we know how well it turned out for this man, you know, not just as a a basketball player at IU or in the NBA. But then did some real serious coaching in the NBA too.
1: And then did something just a couple months ago that I think he, even in our interview, says was maybe the greatest thing he ever accomplished in his basketball life, which had to do with, of course, bringing a certain gentleman back to Bloomington. So, with no further ado, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls,
0: here we go. It's time to talk to another Hoosier legend, one whose incredible playing career went beyond Indiana and then led to an incredible coaching career. I don't want to give too many spoilers here. Eric, take it away.
2: I mean, you use the word legend, and we use that maybe a little too much in society, but we are literally talking to an IU legend. We are talking to a gentleman was a graduate of Ben Davis High School out of Indianapolis where he averaged more than 23 points a game and was the first player of Ben Davis from Ben Davis to be named to the Indiana All-Star team. We are talking to a former Big 10 player of the year. We are talking to somebody who played 40 minutes, a full 40 minutes, 45 times in Indiana. 15th all-time in scoring, 29th all-time with in his senior year with uh, 569 points, 23rd all-time with 341 points in the Big Ten, ninth all-time at Indiana in field goals made, 10th best – this is also just incredible – the 10th best season at Indiana in assists his freshman year. He went from being an assist man his freshman year to a scoring just dynamo his senior year, eighth best uh, season assists in the Big Ten, Seventh all-time at Indiana in assists. Number one all-time in steals in Big Ten games. And keep in mind that the Big Ten season was shorter back then when he played. We are, of course, talking to a two-time academic All-American, a three-time academic All-Big Ten. We are talking to an All-American. And we are talking to a national champion from 1981. Please put your hands together. For IU Hall of Fame member 1995, Randy Whitman. <laughs> Welcome, wow,
3: Randy. wow, thanks, guys. How did that feel, Randy? Uh, I'm I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would not well, be embarrassed like that. <laughs>
2: So, Randy, before we kind of get into your Indiana story, why don't you just tell everybody what you're up to right now? Uh, obviously, coronavirus is on everybody's mind. I hope you and your family are doing well. But beyond that, uh, tell everybody what you're up to these days.
3: Well, other than trying to take care of ourselves, like we're all trying to do in this time uh, of uncertainty that, that we're in, uh, luckily I'm down in Florida where the weather Is nice, and I I can get outside and and walk around and do those type of things. But uh, over the last couple of years, um, after my last coaching stint with the Washington Wizards, I've been basically just doing some consulting with coaches. Um, uh, This past year, I was uh, working with Ryan Saunders in the Minnesota Timberwolves, and uh, Ryan was a an assistant coach of mine in Washington and his dad, obviously being Flip Saunders, uh, who I worked with uh, for a number of years. And that's how I first got uh, into Minnesota was through his dad, Flip, who uh, passed away suddenly um, a couple of years ago. But so I've been, I've been just kind of doing that, helping young coaches, uh, giving ideas and thoughts and letting them run their thoughts and ideas off of me and, Uh, It keeps me in the gym, keeps me around the game, uh, keeps me young. So uh, those are the kind of things the last uh, couple years that I've been doing.
2: Now, before we go back to the beginning of your basketball life, Randy, of all the incredible things that you have given to Indiana University and Indiana University fans, one of maybe the longest lasting and most important was something that you did just this year, not that long ago, when you really spearheaded and orchestrated, uh, along with some former te- uh, former players, but you really led the charge on bringing Coach Knight nice back to Indiana University and back to Assembly Hall. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about, and uh, and just some insight into behind the scenes of how that came to be?
3: Uh, yeah, you know, originally that day was supposed to be a reunion for the 1980 big 10 championship team uh, that obviously I was a part of, Um, you know, we have done a number of reunions over the course of the last couple of years uh, from, you know, the 76 championship team. We did one in 2016 for the 81 championship team. And and I know there've been a number of others, Um, you know, each and every time, you know, we've, We've always tried to reach out to coach uh, to see if he was interested in joining us. And uh, throughout those early ones, you know, he just, you know, wasn't the time or the place, obviously. And I got an email for an RSVP saying if I was going to come back for the 1980 Big Ten Championship reunion. And I was sitting here with my wife uh, as the email came through, and I was like, you know, I love... I, I love going back and seeing seeing the guys. My my parents still are alive and living in Indianapolis and I have a brother and sister in Indianapolis and I get back to Indianapolis three to four or five times a year and you know, I, I always connect back with, with everybody that, that lives there in, in, in the Indiana from, from ex players and I was like, you know, I'm just this doesn't mean anything anymore to go back there if we can't get coach to be a part of it. And, uh, my wife said to him, well, you know what he's going to say. And I'm like, well, you know what, I'm going to give it another try. And <laughs> so I called him up on the phone and, uh, this was really the first time, you know, he had moved back to Bloomington. Uh, I think it was early November or early fall. Uh, he and Karen, uh, decided to move back to Bloomington and I had not spoken to him since the actual move. So. Uh, you know, just to kind of bright, break the ice, I you know I asked Coach, well, how how was living back in Bloomington? And Coach went on a a rant of you know it was probably the best decision he and Karen have done in a long time, and it couldn't be more happier. You know, his doctors are are there close by, his friends, he could go out to dinner, breakfast uh, with people that he knew, and he just went on and on saying how how wonderful it was, and you know that gave me a, a great opportunity in my mind to say what I needed to say to try to get him back, and I just you know said I said, Coach, you know why it's so wonderful uh, that that she feel that way, and he goes, No, why? It's because that's that's where you belong. You know, you belong mm-hmm. in Indiana, and I said that's why you feel that way, and I just you know went on to kind of explain to him. I know you know, hey, I told him I've been fired four times uh, from a coaching job. So (laughs) it's not fun. Um, but you know, as the older we get and time goes by, um, I just said, you know, I think it's time coach maybe to let bygones be bygones. And I think, you know, the, the, the the fans of Indiana that still love you, the people of Indiana that still love you, what greater thing to give them one last, chance to see you walk out the center court in assembly hall I said you love them obviously because you moved back there and I guarantee you coach they still love you and I said uh, you know I just want to again offer up see if you'll come back with us and when I stopped talking there was nothing um, there was no and I was like oh my gosh he hung up on me uh, <laughs> And then he he just, you know, he just said, Randy, are are all the players coming back? And I said, Coach, all of us will be there. And uh, he just kind of hesitated and said, well, if you guys are going to be there, then I'll come back. And so from there, it quickly went to this isn't about the 1980 team. Um, This is about everybody that played for him. And so we kind of, you know, went got things in motion right away. As soon as I hung up that call and talked to Quinn and Scott Dolson and Doctor Rink, and um, they didn't believe me at first um, when I told them I that that coach said he'd come back. But then um, reality, you know, uh, people started talking with him, and and he he was. So we just put. I mean, I couldn't the uh, people at the university of getting phone numbers and emails and uh, out to all of us that we just began making phone calls and we we contacted you know just about we were just about to get get a hold of everybody that that we had contact with and uh, we had a great turnout uh, that came back we had somebody from 1970 to all the way to 2000 and you know you mentioned on uh, you know on the lead in to, to to this podcast that a lot of a lot of great things you know i was able to accomplish in indiana but uh this this memory probably will be the lasting one for me that day uh when when coach and all of us walked out uh on the floor on at assembly hall it was uh, an emotional night day uh for all of us i mean coach uh, got emotional as players got emotional and I don't think you'll ever see in any university setting where you've got uh, everybody that came back from a 30 year period uh, to join in with your coach uh, one last time. And so uh, it was a special day um, and one that I'll never forget.
0: It was a beautiful moment for everybody uh, who was fortunate enough to be there. Like Eric and I, everybody watching at home, and it's one we'll all remember for the rest of our lives. I wonder if you have a thought on how does this affect the program going forward? We've all been hoping and and, and chasing the incredible teams uh, that played for Coach Knight, of course, including your teams. Do you think something like that has a real tangible effect on the program going forward? I hope so.
3: I, I, I think it can if, if we use it in the right in the right way. I mean this was a healing process for coach, uh and for a lot of us. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, when it when it happened there was a lot of resentment uh that I had uh to the university and, and how it was handled and, and, and how it went forward after that in terms of the direction of who they wanted to start bringing in as, as coaches and stuff. Uh,
4: You know, there, it it hurt a
3: lot of us, but as I said, you know, just earlier that, you know, as we grow older, it it does us no good to hold resentment towards something. And and I think coach was the great leader in that and showing um, he's the one that that gave uh, his life to the university for, for the 30 years. and, he was he was willing to come back uh for the fans of Indiana and, and come back on assembly hall four one time one more time. I think now all of us have that healing process as well. Uh ones that maybe that still uh felt a little uh upset about how things were handled. So I I, I mean when you have a guy like Coach Knight uh showing that, you know what? he's he's gonna let bygones be bygones I, it can't i don't think but help the program uh and i i know that he came back uh, i think a couple of weeks after that to a ladies uh i u game uh in assembly hall there and so um you know th- this is i think a situation that that we can use uh to help uh help boost up the program
0: well let's go let's go back to the the sixties and seventies and a young Randy Whitman is growing up in Indianapolis. What was the game of basketball to you as a child growing up in the most basketball crazed
3: state in the nation? It was everything. I mean, uh, it was from as far back as I can remember my first love. Now I played, I played all three sports. I played football, uh, baseball and basketball. Um, all the way up to uh, baseball and basketball, obviously, through through my high school years. I dropped out of football after my freshman year. Um, so, it, you know, but basketball was all... I mean, if you grew up in Indiana, I mean, uh, if you didn't love basketball first, there was something wrong with you. Um, so uh, <laughs> that was always my, my first love. And uh, as a kid, I, 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 I don't ever remember not having a ball in my hand uh, even even during a football season or a ba- baseball season. It just was always uh, something that if I had free time, that, that I was going to be outside in the backyard uh, shooting hoops.
2: Now, Randy, you grew up at a time uh, when the Branch McCracken era was ending and there was a changing of the guard of an iconic basketball coach. But as you were growing up, were there Indiana players that you kind of looked up to and idolized the same way many of us did to us? Uh, well, well yeah,
3: I, I yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, the first comes to mind to me, because again, I was a big, just basketball fan. It had high school. I had to go to every high school game when I was little, made my brother who was old, four years older, me, you know, take me and, and, You know, the Pacers were in the ABA back in the day, and Slick Leonard was the coach uh, who, you know, won a championship at Indiana. Uh, Mm I think it was uh, 53, uh, the championship. And and you just go down the line. My my father went to Washington High School, uh, and so when I was a kid, he would always take me back uh, to, uh, to, to I can, I can remember football games at Washington High School. And at that time, uh, always brought back, uh, there was a big tight end that played for Washington. I never, I mean, had hands as, as big as uh, a baseball, a first baseman's glove, and uh, uh, a fabulous football player. And it was George McGinnis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, we well know, I mean, you know George goes down to Bloomington um and and, and plays and he was uh, for me as a high school uh kid watching you know him as a high school basketball player and then uh do what he did is 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 only two years at 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 Bloomington and then obviously go into the pros so there were early yes there were early players um even before coach got there that that stood out and um, you know, I mean, I would, I'd, I'd have to throw Rick Mount in there, even though he's a Purdue guy.
4: Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, I
3: mean, that was that was just the thing—the great players that that came along. And obviously, I think he was a young Le- kid from Lebanon that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated early on. And so, um, you know, those kind of things just stand with you, and it just build up your, you know, your your dreams of. Goodness gracious, Could one day, you know, you'd be a part of something like that.
0: Now, uh, at least I I grew up more in the 90s up in little Peru, Indiana. And at that time, Ben Davis was one of the biggest schools in the state, assuming it was a big school when you played there, too. I'm wondering, and even if this was never really an issue for you, how competitive was it just even for guys to make that team, guys that probably could have started for a small town school like my own,
3: maybe couldn't even see the floor
0: for a high school team like that. Well, I mean, it,
3: it was. And I think obviously looking back on it, it was something that helped me tremendously in terms of competition uh, and not giving in to competition. Now, it was when when I was there from, uh, you know, the freshmen didn't go to the high school. They were still part of the junior high system. Uh, when when I was in high school so Ben Davis the three grades were 3200 kids total in three grades so wow um it was a huge school uh for even back then I, I I think it was Ben Davis and and uh Indianapolis Tech uh were the were the two biggest schools back when I was in school but it was absolutely competition was out the door and um you know, it it it, it was a, a situation that taught me uh, a lot about being mentally tough and 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 understanding that you know what you got to really work at your game if you're going to have an opportunity to follow in the footsteps of people that I looked up to that went through Ben Davis when I was uh, when, when I was growing up. Now back back in that back in those days, um, you know, which is something that we've lost uh over the course of the years I mean we played nothing but outdoor basketball in the summer I mean there you know you couldn't get inside a, a gymnasium and uh if kids today had to play outside I don't think they would play they have to, they have to be in the air conditioned gym with leather basketballs and we had uh, we played on asphalt uh and Ben Davis at that time had the biggest outdoor courts in the city So uh, you, and they were, and they were lit. So you could play from morning. From morning, I think the lights went off at 10 o'clock at night. And you would have some of the best, as the older you got, you'd have some of the best games because everybody uh, that was anybody in the summertime would come to the Ben Davis courts and play basketball. I mean, even uh, I can remember Billy Knight, and he was playing for the Pacers. Uh, at the time, and they would come by and and play, and it it was such a situation, you you, you know, I mean, if you got beat, it took you 45 minutes to get back on the court. Um, You know, it was winter stays, and if you got beat, there was just so many people that were formulating their own teams that you had to wait until it was your turn again, so uh, that was something that went into it, but the competition, obviously, being at a big school, uh, does does play a, a part into it, but I think uh, it, it really helped me in, in developing my game. Well,
0: and who was your team's fiercest rival in high school, and how intense did those high school basketball games get on a
3: Friday night? Well, it, 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 for us, and it turned out we both ended up playing together, but uh, it was was Indianapolis Tech uh, for for us because Landon Turner. And I were the same, were the same year, and so and then uh, he was—he's uh, the one that knocked us out in the regional finals. Uh, uh, my senior year in high school at Hinkle Fieldhouse, beat us by two uh, at the buzzer. And coincidence—we we go on to play together uh, then down in Bloomington and, and and combine together to you know to win the national championship. But they were probably, if I had to say, because he was such a. Uh, a freak player for back then uh, everybody you know kind of sees it now a 6'11 guy uh, that can play inside outside uh, Landon um, was one of those players at an early age and you know, you don't get a whole lot of seven foot kids in high school that you got to play against uh, every year and and he was he was that one so I'd have to if I had to pick one school it was it, it was Indianapolis Tech
2: so, Randy, you're about 10 or 11 when Coach Robert Montgomery Knight from West Point comes over to Bloomington and starts to build what would obviously will be one of the just greatest programs in the history of college basketball and one of the greatest three-decade runs that anybody could have. What do you remember growing up and then getting into high school when you were watching that 75-76 team? What do you remember about how you felt about Indiana watching those teams play?
3: Well, you know, nobody at that time, you know, when when Coach took over Indiana, I mean, he he came from Army as a young uh, young guy. I mean, he was really—I think he was twenty-four when he took o- over Army, um, right? If, I, if I'm not wrong, um, and then comes to Indiana, and I mean, he's basically still relative unknown. You know, the Army coach is now the the head coach in Indiana, um, and. You know, right away. The thing that stood out to me right away was, you know, the Steve Downing team uh, yeah. that uh, goes to the Final Four and and uh, makes it all the way there and gets beat by, uh, you know, by UCLA in their dynasty run that they they were on. And so that right away opened my eyes as a young kid of this young coach and uh, and the energetic, you know, not knowing him, not met him, uh, but that stood out that he could turn that program uh, that quickly around and take really uh, not any of his recruits, Uh, there were people that were still there uh, from the the other regime that uh, took the the other person's players and took them to the Final Four that quickly. And so uh, then it parlays into the 75 team, uh, obviously, which, which... I still think is the the best team of all time, Um, even though they got beat 92, 90 by Kentucky, uh, but that was without Scott May, but I I still think that was a, I think that was a better team than the 76 team from, from one to 12. Um, And so obviously, you know, they go basically undefeated in 75. And then obviously they do do it in 76 and win the national championship. And so now, it cemented uh, into my head that, I, I mean, there's no other place I want to go. Um, <laughs> you know, that that was ultimately, my decision was made. If I had an opportunity to go there, um, that's what I was going to do. And, you know, lucky, luckily enough, it, it happened that way.
2: So, do you remember the first time that Coach Knight reached out to you? That you met him? That he met your family? Uh, yeah. In that the,
3: yeah. You know, back back in the day, there's no AAU. You know, right. you did every you did everything <laughs> on your own. I, like I said, we we lived on the outdoor courts. You know, that was our our thing. You know, forming our own you know teams uh, each and every night and playing, and we didn't have anything organized. But uh, the one thing that I always did. Um, there were, uh, I would, uh, save up every, every year. Um, and I got to choose, I, right, a, a basketball camp that I could go to. And, you know, I always, you know, went down to Bloomington, um, to coaches, coaches camps in the summertime, uh, down there. And so the very first time that I ever really, uh, you know, said, or, uh, it was in between my eighth grade and freshman year of high school. I'm down at Bloomington in the middle of summer at his camp and we're running up and down the floor and he kind of walks out on the court after the game and says, Hey kid, come here. And, uh, you know, now, you know, you're about ready to pee your pants. Um, as as a young kid like that, uh, here's this fiery coach, calling you over, um, and it was everybody's dream that, you know, that was one of the things throughout the years. You always got, you know, to to meet and get something signed by coach when you went to the camp. But, you know, he called me over, and he just looked at me and said, hey, kid, if if you ever had an opportunity to come here, would you? And, of course, I said absolutely. And so then, you know, you fast forward to my sophomore year, uh, was the first time then that uh, he began recruiting me, and, and then my parents, and and uh, 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 meeting my parents, and coming in for the in home visit. So, and it was again, it was a very. I mean, he was, you know, he's a very intimidating uh, person, and and but my mind was made up, and he he had, he had asked me again in in the home visit. You know if I offer you a scholarship, you come in, and I said yes right away, and he looked at it, "Don't you need to talk to your mom and dad and I said, "I think they're on board with it. <laughs> I love it and so uh, that was it you know i mean it was uh it was done I didn't even I didn't even visit any other any other place um I did go down to a football game at Purdue. Um, but that was an informal my mom and dad and me went to a football game, but it wasn't any formal uh meeting with with the coaches or or players or anything but that was it i didn't i didn't you know you had five visits um that you could take and i i didn't need to take any so um you know when i told committed to him i was I was all on board.
0: Well, and you were one of the top recruits in the country, so it wasn't like you didn't have a lot of options, but you clearly knew the right place for you. And when you get down there to Bloomington, we've already gotten a little bit of a a glimpse of of your familiarity with Landon Turner, but there's another freshman down there from Galveston, as he would say, named Ted Kitchell. What were your first impressions of Ted, or did you
3: already know him from – from high school ball at all. Well, we we met first time in uh, uh being the Indiana All-Stars. So, okay. Ted, Ted was on the team uh as well as you mentioned. I was I was the first player from Ben Davis uh, a big school like that. It was something that I'm I'm kind of proud of to be the first player um, to be uh on the Indiana All-Stars. So, I met Ted uh at the all-stars and, and, you know, that, that back then, it was, you know, basically a three week, uh, period where we, we spent together three weeks and you went to Louisville and played a game down there and then came back the next week and played another one here. And so, um, that was my first time in meeting Ted. And, uh, it came across just as Ted always comes across. He's a kid from farm. He was a farm boy. Um, it was a situation that we hit it off pretty good, you know, for a kid like me, be growing up in Indianapolis and he and Galveston um, it's just uh, you know, it was just one of those things that, 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 uh, you know, we, we just kind of hit it off. And, and then when we got down to Bloomington, uh, you know, and I think a little bit of in that, he, you know, he was going to IU, I was going to IU and um, you know, you kind of gravitate to, to those type of things, but then, uh, it just became a, a bigger thing than that once we got down in Bloomington and we were roommates uh, ever, ever, you know, basically all five years we were down there uh, because we both were redshirted a the year. So, um, uh, and now obviously still is my, my best friend uh, today. That's great.
2: One of the interesting things about the year that you go, 78, 79, is it really is, kind of a full passing of the guard from those mid 70s teams. Wayne Radford and Jim Wisman had graduated the year before, who were kind of leftovers from those teams. You did have a couple players, Roberson and Scott Eels, who were were part of, were on the team, but they weren't major players within that. And he really did have this like influx of new talent with you and Kitchell and Landon Turner, and you also had Mike Woodson and and Butch Carter, who were part of the team. And it felt like the kind of like, okay, now it's the new era of Indiana University basketball. Did you feel any pressure as you came in there to kind of live up to what those mid-70s teams were? Was that a specter that kind of hung over the program in those years? Well,
3: I never looked at it as pressure. I looked at it that that's what I wanted. Nice. Um, so it wasn't, no, for me, it wasn't pressure. I was jealous. And so, um, that's what I want. And so, uh, you know, our first year there we did, I mean, Mike Woodson, uh, was, you know, is one of the best players that I played with, Um uh, mm-hmm. from a scoring standpoint, there wasn't another, another player, uh, pros and and college and high school that could put the ball in the basket like like Mike could. And, um, you know, he's a broad ripple. He was a broad ripple Indianapolis kid. And so I, you know, again, I I had contact with all these guys, you know, he's two years older than I was in the summer. We always were playing against each other. And so uh, even, even with the, the age discrepancy. And so um, you know, it just was a situation where, obviously, you mentioned Jim Wisman and Scott ills and, and those guys that had uh, tasted uh, some of that success. Um, uh, they, were, they were developing their own uh, success. And so um, it was a situation that I couldn't wait to get there because I, I wanted to see if, if we couldn't reach the pinnacle Uh, right away in my first year um in terms of that and it was it, it was kind of a chaotic first year yeah um, um you know when we when we think back on it uh um you you had mentioned uh you know the number of games that I played you know my freshman year i i I still think it's a record. Uh, I averaged 39 and a half minutes a game
4: um, <laughs> my freshman
3: year. And that was, that was related to, you know, we we, we had the suspensions and the players kicked off the team uh, in in the earlier, in the year. Um, wow. And it was, a, it was a situation that I went from being a shooting guard um, to where we lost our starting point guard. Um and uh, I can still remember it. Um, you know, coach brought me in as a freshman. I think we're three, four, five games in um, to the season, and uh, he said, Whitman, I want you to be my point guard. And I was like, you know, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, And he says, all you need to do, Is get the ball over half court without turning it over and get the ball to Woodson. I I said, well, I think I can do that. Um, But it was, you know, it was another, guys, it was another situation for me. And you don't, you know, when you're going through experiences as a young kid, you don't really see it as it's happening. But as I then went on to play in the pros, it was a, it was a great situation for me because I was basically a scorer, a big shooting guard at six 6'6", um, back in those days, uh, and I was able to play that position in high school. We had a big team in high school, um, so I was able to play – Out on the floor as a high school kid at 6'6, usually you know you kind of get stuck inside as being one of the bigger kids on some high school teams. But, um, so uh, you know, I had developed the ability to score the ball and, and be you know the shooter on a team. And you know, going to IU, that's that's what coach was bringing me down there for. And then this all transpired, and I went from being a shooter. Uh, to being nothing but an assist guy and and, and running the team and playing the point guard position. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we see it still today, at least I do in in my getting into coaching that, you know, there's a lot of kids that might have said, no, I don't don't want that. I'm here to, you know, I'm I'm a scorer. I don't want to be a point guard. But it actually was the best thing that happened to me because my ball handling skills went from – you know, 50% through the roof because, you know, I had to handle the ball and against pressure and uh, those type of things. So it, it made me as time went on a much better player and as in life, our rules change and uh, your role one year is going to be totally different than the next. And it's so, that's so the, the way it is in college. And if you're not willing to accept it, you're not not going to be the player that you're capable of being. And so luckily for me, uh you know, I was able to go from uh uh you know, being being a uh, uh shooting guard to being a point guard and, and, and my skill level there improving um to where the next year changes back because we bring in a kid named uh, you know Isaiah Thomas.
1: And yeah that was I, wasn't, I
3: wasn't gonna beat him out at being the point guard. So <laughs> <laughs> uh Uh, You know, so it was kind of funny that first first year, but we could, you know, we could tell we had things going even through the troubles of my freshman year. And then, you know, we win the the, uh, NIT, which was a hell of a tournament back then. Um, You know, people forget, you know, there was no 64-team tournament when when we were in school. The NIT had a lot of really great players. I mean, if you didn't win the Big Ten Championship, you didn't get into the NCAA tournament. I mean that that's that's kind of how it boiled down. There was no conference tournaments. There was no at large bids. There, were, you know, basically you had to, you know, you, you had to win the the conference you were in. And so, um, my freshman year, we we didn't do that, but we were uh, we were picked uh, in the NIT and then went ahead and you know beat Purdue in the final game, Madison Square Garden in '79, which was the starting point. Uh, for for things that that happened after that,
2: so I want to hit a couple things in your freshman year before we move on from that, because just so everybody who's listening uh, knows this story, that you you talk about um, the life lessons about you know switching roles. There's also great life lessons to be gleaned from dealing with adversity, and here you are coming to historic Indiana University, a couple years removed from you know arguably the best teams that have ever played the game. You start the year in Alaska. Uh, it doesn't go well. You lose to Pepperdine and lose to Texas A&M. A week later, coach finds out that some stuff happened in Alaska with some of the players smoking marijuana, and he kicks off several players, puts on probation some other players. As a freshman coming into that situation, I'm just wondering: is your head spinning during that time? Do you this can't be what you thought you were signing up for? Oh, no,
3: no doubt. I mean, you thought the world was coming to the, to an end to be realistic as a young 18, 19 year old kid coming in there. And then to have, like I said, it happened right away uh, at the start of the year. And so you think, you think things are unraveling and, and you're, you're losing grasp of the rope. But um, like I said, it was, it was a situation through it all that made us Stronger uh, right. as a team um, as as you look back, I mean there were some rough times. there's no doubt about it um, i mean I, I i even thought there was times that that coach might throw in the towel he was he was that you know upset with 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 uh, the things that that transpired to, to cause him to to have to do what he had to do, but uh it also made us grow up quicker too. I think you know we matured a lot. Uh, a lot of life lessons learned and, and uh, making good choices. Um, and, you know, as young kids, you you, you think the world is yours, and, and then you're brought back to reality uh, through a lot of this. But it was a situation, as time wore on in that year, we got better and better. Now, you know, it, it, it hurt us uh, in terms of being able to be good enough to make the NCAA tournament, but by the end of the NIT, uh, we were one of the better teams in the country, and that springboard us right into 1980, which I think is was a better team than the 81 team. It was uh, a more talented team. Uh, we were, uh, if, you, if you remember back, that was uh, – you know, the summer of '80 was the boy the Jimmy Carter boycotted the Olympics, and so there was no Olympics. And preseason leading into the '80 80, '80 uh, 80 season, we were we were uh, ranked number one, and right. we o- we opened up in a exhibition game in Assembly Hall against the Russian team that won the Olympic gold medal, who that was considered after the Olympics to be the best team in the world. And they came in uh and we just annihilated them by 20 plus points. And how was, badly it,
2: did coach want to win that game?
3: Well, he, yeah, I, I think, you know, that this was obviously, you know, and a lot of us, I mean, um uh you know, I think, Isaiah probably would have been on that team, Mm. uh, the 80 team. I tried out for the team. I I obviously wasn't good enough to be on that team, but I think Isaiah would have been on that team. Mike Woodson would have had an opportunity um, to be on an Olympic team, and that was all taken away, and I think that did. And and Coach was still, I think, you know, I mean, I think Coach had envisions of one day being an Olympic coach, you know, which happened – you know, four years four years later, um, in eighty four. So um yeah, it was that. that was not an exhibition game uh leading up to it. Those two weeks of practice leading up to the Russian game uh was almost like we were getting ready to play Purdue or Kentucky. And um it was a, a situation that we were we were ready to go right right from the start and, and that Uh, That team just never was. I mean, I got hurt five games in. I fractured my ankle and was redshirted. Mike Woodson had back surgery uh, and didn't come back until six games left in the Big Ten season. It kind of derailed us a little bit. But that's the same team we're talking about that they were going to honor when Coach came back. Uh,
4: Right.
3: They came back and, you know, we won the Big Ten championship, uh, you know, that year. Uh, storming back with with all those injuries but um, like I like I think the 75 team was probably a better team than the 76 but the 76 team won the national championship I I thought our 80 team was better than the 81 team but our 81 team won the championship well and how frustrating was that for you to to
0: go out so early in such a promising season how do you deal with that as a young man who's you know, been in presumably great health throughout your life, and you can see the greatness in the locker room and the potential and then know it was never going to be realized, even as well as the team finished out the season, without you uh, that – how do you cope with that? How do you deal with Uh, that? It was tough.
3: No, it's tough. It's very tough. It's very depressing. Um, And, you know, just not being – able to be a part of it or to help, uh, in, in situations. Um, the only good thing about it is when you were redshirted for coach night, you were like the best damn player that he's ever had. You'd be sitting <laughs> over there with, you'd be sitting over there with your foot in the cast and he would look at that whip and he's, he, he's our best player. Look at him. He's, he can't even play. So, as soon as, so you know, you never got the rasp, of of him during practice or anything so that was the greatest part of it and I mean the guys would cuss you when you came out in the locker room hey why don't you just not show up anymore or whatever but it was uh it was hard you know it's hard when you uh you have to mess miss a whole year you know and and uh you know Ted our my senior year basically the same type of thing or our, our fifth year you know he had back surgery uh our senior year excuse me and uh, you know, missed a year uh, because, but it's, you know, again, though, I think it gave me a better perspective um, on things because I looked at the game in a different way. You know, I've only, I only got to play five games and uh, uh, you know, you sit there every day in practice and you'll watch and you watch coach a little bit more than you do as if you're an actual player playing. And, um, it probably looking back on it was the start of me wanting to maybe be a coach one day was, mm. was that year that I sat out and, you know, you'll watch how coach manipulated practices, how he manipulated, you know, and, and, uh, got players to, to do certain things. And, uh, that was probably, you know, the start of my process of of looking at becoming a coach one day.
0: And we know Coach was a master psychologist. He was using you over there in your cast as a way to motivate the players out on the floor. But do you think also part of that was his way of keeping you encouraged when he knew you were going through a tough time?
3: Oh, sure. Yeah. No no question about that. And he did that to everybody in those situations. I mean, he wanted you involved. Um, you still, I mean, we had these red, uh, red uh, binders um, that we you took notes in. You know, when coach came in to talk to you before practice or before games, I mean, our locker room was a classroom um, mm-hmm. and I still have all five years of my, my red notebook um, uh, that, that I've kept over the years. And it's just little subtle things, you know, what's, you know, what does box boxing out do for the fast rate, you know, things of that nature. And, um, he demanded that, um, in the teaching setting in the locker room that we had those notebooks out and we took notes. notes and it was a brilliant idea. I mean, one that I would have never have thought of, uh, in the in a basketball setting of having you know people take notes of how coach wants the game to be played and um it was a brilliant thing on his part that that he did it that way and one that stayed with me for years but I still look back on those notebooks especially when I got back into coaching
2: uh I wanted to just touch on one thing you said about the NIT title game the year before which Always good to beat Purdue. Even better to beat them <laughs> in a in a uh, in in the NIT title game. But after the game, coach was quoted as saying, "This is as satisfying as the NCAA title in '76." And I think that speaks to one how important the NIT championship was back then. And I think people today don't necessarily remember that. But also, I think it's a lot of it was also just about the turmoil that that team faced at the beginning part of that year. Also, let's not forget Ted Kitchell had the red shirt that year. Yeah. He got yeah. injured early on. Yeah. Um, Glenn, Glenn Grunwald had the red shirt that season as well. Correct. Um, Correct. And then the turmoil of getting some key players kicked off the team or put on probation. It, it has to just be so satisfying to go through that season, which must've felt like 10 years as opposed to one and come out with winning your last game of the year, especially against a rival.
3: That's a that's a great point, and I think it did. I think but and I also think he saw where we developed it. Okay, where we were at the start with all the turmoil, all the suspensions, all the people being thrown off, the injuries, and then to see where it ended in the final game of the NIT, which again people today you know, laugh at that, but it was a hell of a tournament back in the day. And I think, you know, coach is, coach grew up with that tournament. He played right. with his army teams. I right? played in the NIT. I, right? he, he, that was a tournament that for people like him and his age group, it was at that time when they were young, the tournament, all right. It was the tournament, and it still was a very good tournament. But I think all those things together, the satisfaction of winning the last game, all right, it being against Purdue, it being in New York City, it being in the NIT, and what this team could be next year. And that was the thing I think you know, was more, most satisfying for Coach. And looking forward, also, like I said, I thought that next team, next year's team, was the best team that I played on. And I think Coach saw that. And so he was gratified to see where we were at the start of the year and where we ended up.
0: So one more question on your redshirt sophomore year. um, When you were sitting out, you got to not only really study coach, but you really got to see freshman Isaiah Thomas do his thing. What was it about him? Is it about him that made him one of the greatest point guards ever to pick up a basketball?
3: It's what I call the, he had the it factor. Uh, He, the great players just have it. They have that it factor, which brings everything together. Have there been more talented, just physically talented players than Isaiah? Yeah. Um, but those players, I mean, you name them all off, whether you want to start today's game with LeBron um, or, you know, Michael Jordan or, you know, they they have that it factor, which they have the whole package. They have the smart. They have the brains. They have the IQ of how the game is supposed to be played. They can take over a game in this area or they can ha- take over a game in this area. They, they just have that ability that you see. I mean, it stood out uh, when he stepped onto campus. And he was a young, young kid from Chicago, all right, that, uh, you know, thank God, and God rest her soul, his mom uh basically said you ain 't going to any you know he wanted to go to Depaul. you know he grew up with Mark Aguirre and those guys, and DePaul had a great team right uh, with Aguirre and those teams back in the day um and 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 i 'm sure he wanted to stay in Chicago and and play there, but his mother said, "No, nope, you need to go down here to Bloomington, Indiana, and play for this guy named Knight and um, you know, thank God she did that because, uh, you know, he came just just the, from the beginning. I mean, he, he people forget too just how good he was, right? Even before he played a game at Bloomington, he was on the uh, Pan American team, all right? right. Uh, for and Coach Knight was coaching that team you know, in uh, uh, Puerto Rico, and uh, you know, he made that team. Um, as a as basically a high school kid, and and then came and started his freshman year at, at Bloomington. So um, it was just everything combined, guys. It's just really hard to explain the the brilliance of of people like that and how their thought process is and the leadership um, that they have. I mean, he he demanded it right away, and it wasn't one that he came out and boastfully said, I'm going to be the leader of this team. It was just one of those things, you you know what, we're going to follow this guy. This guy knows what the hell he's talking about. And uh, that was special. That was very special.
2: Randy, one one thing that I was having a conversation with a uh, a Hoosier who was there during this time, during your time, and he brought this up to me and I, I looked into it. It really is remarkable. That 79-80 team, when you combine the number of players on that team that were just exceptional basketball players and made very good livings playing basketball and, and, and in the NBA and just the talent that was there, but also combined with the mental acumen that existed on that team and the success of so many players that were on that team in just the business world, when you think of the Glenn Grunwald. You know the Phil Eisenbargers. You, that team is so unique in just the number of super high-performing, successful people. Um, when you look back on that, do you do you see do you see how special that part of it is? Also,
3: well, that was coach too, though. All right, that's the thing. You know, coach didn't. I mean, very seldom did coach really go out and recruit guys like an Isaiah Thomas who right. was a high school McDonalds All American from when he was in the eighth grade. Um I mean he was a special, special player as a young kid and one of those prodigy players. Now coach didn't always recruit those those kids. I mean coach always understood that who he could coach and who he needed to coach. And I think, and just obviously Isaiah's mother, I, again, I can't, she played a big part in it, but also Isaiah's toughness. See, the thing, not everybody can play for coach. And, and I think coach would be the first one to tell you that. And players that have played with him, played for him, would tell you that. Not everybody can play for coach. You have to come into this, you know, with a, a little bit of self discipline and a hell of a work ethic. All right. If you don't have those two things self-discipline and a work ethic you're not gonna you're not gonna make it you're just not gonna survive there and so the mental toughness that is developed all right as like I said, I was there five years and mm-hmm. uh, whether it's one two, three four or five years that the the things that you learn and and I'll never. I'll never forget this, you know, the coach was always I mean, coach was always a one that, um, you know, he knew where he belonged. He knew he was a college coach. I mean, he had every opportunity multiple times to move uh, to, to the pros. You know, I know Red Arback a number of times would have, would have given him the job with the Boston Celtics and coach knew, you know, I, that's, that's not my, that's not my gig. I, 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 I would not be who I am at that level with what I'm doing here, and I I can remember towards the end of my my career uh, in in talking to our team and basically talking to our young guys coming in just experiencing experiencing it for the first time was you know and this was after this was Isaiah's gone into the pros, Woodson's in the pros, Benson's into the pros you know, Buckner and and May and and all these players that went on to the pros, um, he looked at us all and says, I could care less how many of you go on and play in the NBA. What I care about is when you leave here and you're in an interview and it's you and the other guy that the job's going to that, damn it, you get that job. That's awesome. That always kind of stuck out. To me, that that's what he was basically doing, all right? For us, is is not it, it wasn't wins and losses for him. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't wins and losses and, and resume for him. It was he genuinely cared about number one us graduating, all right? That was always the biggest thing, and um, that was not something that was off the cuff. I mean, it was. It, it was you must graduate, and that's why I, I I told your parents that you would graduate, and but it was it was after that, it was after that in the real world, and the real world isn't always the NBA, okay? Uh The real world is out there, and it was always something then when I had my kids that that stuck with me um, to to get them. Hey, it's going to come down, right? Procter and Gamble or 3M or Whatever it may be, and it's going to be between you and another guy. who's going to get that damn job and he mm. wanted you to get that job, and that's what he was he was stressing and teaching you as well as the basketball side of it
0: so so, so move that you
3: know, uh, oh uh-oh.
0: go ahead. me okay, we'll cut that out um so Randy, you guys, you lose Woody, you lose butch Carter, but you got a ton of talent coming back, you start the nineteen eighty season. You're healthy, and you're ranked number five in the country. But things don't start off great. You lose (laughs) early to Kentucky, to Notre Dame, to North Carolina. And then before this rocky start is over, you lose to Clemson, and then Texas Pan American fall out of the rankings. What, what, What are you guys thinking? How are you and how is Coach dealing with all this losing? Well, after we lost
3: to Clemson, which Clemson was really good, all right? They they were a legitimate team back then. That was the one that that uh, they had Larry Nance. Um, oh, sure. Who, who, who played in the NBA? Uh, um, so they 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 were a legit uh, team, but they they beat us, and it's that's never good over in Hawaii. Um, uh, and then long plane ride. Yeah, and mentioned I. <laughs> We got beat by an airline. (laughs) (laughs) That was an airline back in my day, Pan American. (laughs) Um, And I mean, that was the lowest of lows. And I was just hoping we could get over that big pond of water um, in one piece um, coming back from that. But no, you know, it was a it was a situation that. You know what, uh, you know, we we slid into a thing where we just, you know, we weren't defending, um, and uh, the thing of it was I, 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 I still remember um, uh, we got beat by Pan American, and we're spending the night in Hawaii and taking a flight out the next morning, and Isaiah and myself are rooming together. And, uh, uh, there's a knock on the door and it's coach Knight. and, Mm. you know, everybody's thinking, you know, you lose an airline, uh, (laughs) this is not going to be pretty. And it was the exact opposite. And Mm. he came into our room and he just said, you know, guys, you know, don't waste this opportunity you know, we are, we are better than what we are right now. And, you know, I need you two guys to step up and be more leaders for this team. I, right? and we got it. We can change this. All right. Again, as I said, you know, big 10 is, you know, it didn't really matter what you did in the preseason uh, or in the leading up to the big 10, you know, you just needed to win the big 10 and, Um, you know, it was a situation where, uh, he, you know, when he walked out of our room, it was like, you know what, he sees something in us. He really does. It wasn't a rant and a rave and you guys suck. And, you know, it was a situation where we, he walked out and we both looked at each other. It was like, you know what? He's right. You know, we Mm. have an opportunity with the big 10 season starting, all right to um to do something, and we you know we went whatever it was after that game we went twenty three and four um uh you know to to win the national championship, and it was just points like that, you know things of that nature where you never you know, i mean those things aren't never talked about with with coach and right. And, and, in the situation where, in a time like that, you would think it would be a rant and a raid, but it was a, you know, put put your arm around you. Um, hey, you know, we can we can be better than this, and let's let's change this around. And it basically kind of really changed like that. You know, you win a couple games, getting into the Big Ten, and your confidence going. We were a talented group, like you said, we were very talented. I mean, we we started a big lineup. Oh, you know, we I mean, Isaiah, myself, Ted Kitchell, Landon Turner, and Ray Tolbert. Right? So we yeah. were we were a big team. I right? uh you know, you go, you know, Ray at six nine, Landon six eleven, Ted six eight, I'm six six, and then you have Isaiah. And so we could we we were a we knew we were a good team. We just you know, you know what we needed something like that. I I, I still go back to that. That was the turning point was how he handled that loss in Hawaii before the Big 10 season started uh, to, to build up our confidence heading into it.
2: Two quick things, Randy. One thing that's really interesting is the way you described how coach talked to you and Isaiah at that moment is almost identical to the stories you hear from the 76 guys on how he talked to them at halftime of the championship game. Mm -hmm. And when things weren't going well, they're playing Michigan. They didn't play well in the first half. Bobby Wilkerson got injured and they were all expecting, you know, coach to come in hollering. And and he didn't, he said to them, you have an opportunity in front of you for the next 20 minutes. Don't, you will not want to look back on this and know you wasted this opportunity. And again, it's those, those moments that, you know, they don't make good highlights on sports center and they don't make good headlines on for newspapers and magazines. So they never get talked about when it comes to coach. But the truth is there are countless more of those moments than there are the other.
3: Oh, no question. And that's, that's the sad thing about it. Um, you know, people, um, you know, always, you know, or the media always just, you know, it's always just the rant and the chair throw or whatever it may be. Um, like I said, right early on not everybody can play for him as always talk about players that transfer players transfer everywhere right, right. It, but it was always like oh, you know you can't play for that guy you, you know he's a nut you know you had to you had to be mentally tough you had to have a work ethic you had and if it it's tough if you didn't it, and and not everybody can play for him and i that's not a bad thing that is not. That's everybody. Kind of used that as a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. He knew it too. Like I said, he knew who he could recruit most times, than not of, right. of the type of player that that he needed with his co- coaching staff. And you don't see the other parts of it. Just like as you mentioned, you know, the '76 team at halftime and and uh, the time before uh, with Isaiah and myself. Uh,
2: another moment that I want to kind of focus on. Because while there clearly was an emotional turning point for, for you guys and kind of a mental wake up, the other big thing that happened, um, and I, you can try to trace it to statistics. I know it doesn't always work this way, but you guys do lose against Iowa on the road. However, in that game, something switches for Landon Turner. And Landon Turner's play in that 80 81 season hits a new level, and from the time of that Iowa loss, you guys don't lose another game the rest of the year. And I think Coach has even said he's been I, – I think I heard a quote from him where he said from that point till the end of the season, there wasn't anybody in college basketball that was playing better than Landon Turner. What, what happened with Landon in that season? What do you remember about that? And when you were in it, do you actually remember, like, being aware that something switched in Landon?
3: Well, I'll just lead, start off by saying we don't win the national championship without Landon. Um, I I I think he's the reason he pushed us over the top to win a national championship. And, and let me uh, s- s- you know, stress it by saying, like I said, he's a, he was a six eleven forward for us. Ray Tolbert played center, and he was a forward that could guard anybody. Mm. Right? His ability and athleticism at six eleven was what you see today, you know, the Kevin Garnett, you know, type of athleticism and stuff that you know we become accustomed to today. That was back in nineteen eighty one, which you didn't wow. see. And so the ability from a defensive standpoint that we could do the things that we could do from a defensive standpoint with, with, uh, Landon started with Landon and his ability to defend and play on the floor. He, he would have, I think, been right up there. We talked, you know, you talked about Isaiah earlier and the greatness of who he was and the hall of fame career that he had, um, Landon I think would have been right up there with Isaiah. He would have been a great pro. Um mm. and um obviously we know, you know, after that season, uh, the tragic accident he had, but um you know, you don't as a as a player, you don't look back. I don't anyway. I and they say, oh, yeah, the, I I mean, I remember the Iowa game. Um but I you know, Landon was just one of those I think coach saw so much into him. I right. even at an early age, and coach pushed him and pushed him, and there were times that Landon rebuked it all right um but I just think as we all matured, whether you know from a freshman uh to when that would have been our junior year, landon's junior year um you know you just you reach a point of you know you get the feeling does coach wanted it more than I do. As, a, mm. as an individual, and it almost all you know, you know, you, you, it makes you feel like goodness. I gotta want it more than that. And you know what? It became a situation. And again, you know, I, the, you know having a guy like Isaiah, Isaiah was nonstop in telling him, that he, "You're the best player on this team. It's not me." I, you're, and 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 trying to get that coached coached out of me and it did it just it went through that i mean we played you know some teams in the tournament you know buck williams and albert king and and james worthy and sam perkins that landed just basically shut down Mm -hmm. the defensive standpoint that led us to that championship i mean Think back on 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 those games in the NCAA tournament. The closest game was the final game, and it was a thirteen point win uh, yeah.
4: against,
3: against North Carolina. That was our closest game. Yeah, and um, it was just a situation that, like you said, after the Iowa game, it was we were off to the to the races, and nothing was going to stop us. And um, you know that that was. That was always a, a situation where you know you got play-in games now, and you got 68 teams, and we we win the Big Ten championship, and we put, get, we draw Maryland in the first uh, yeah uh, Maryland in the first round with Buck Williams and Albert King who became all stars in the NBA playing on the same team, and that was our first round opponent. I'm nice. thinking, Gee, many Christmas is this going to be tough? <laughs> and we we got down eight or ten to nothing in that game, and it was that was the game DePaul got upset by Saint Joseph and Dayton, Ohio. We played uh, those those games that De- DePaul gets beat in the game before us. We come out, we're on it, and we're down eight to ten to nothing. to Start the game, and I'm uh, people are thinking, what the heck, Indiana's going to go down too? And I'll never forget it. It was one of those situations where you know like, Shit, there's going to be a timeout. There was not a timeout.
0: Coach
3: (laughs) coach did not call a timeout. Class. We we went on this run, and I, you know, I'm getting old. Whenever I lose my mind, sometimes I don't know what. I mean, we ended up just blowing them out of the gym, 99
0: Uh, to 64.
3: There you go. And it was eight or ten to nothing to start the game, and uh, it was just it was magical. um, You know, after that Iowa game. Now, one player who I feel gets overlooked
0: because of the awesome assembly of talent on that team, but he won Big Ten Player of the Year. What was Ray Tolbert doing night in and night out for you guys that led him to get such an honor and be such a a crucial part of that championship run?
3: He is what I call the catcher of our team. He's the guy back there with the face mask on and the Shin guards and the dust flying up and doing all the dirty work he was he was the glue to our team at the rim um and so what i mean by that is those are the things that don't get recognized or the bob hamels don't write up in the story after the after the game but ray was a rim protector back before you had rim protection and so that what what's that mean that means Isaiah and I and Landon and we can get out on the wings and just really get up and pressure because we're not worried about getting beat off the dribble because Ray was back there and Ray not only had the ability to block a shot, but block it and start a fast break with it. He was, Mm -hmm. he was really, I think could have been a world-class track man. Um, his ability to run uh, and jump and his speed, um, he it was incredible. And so those were things that, you know, that go unnoticed. The guy that gets 17 rebounds in four blocks might get you 8 to 10 points, you know. Um, but he was also a guy that just, he never got hurt, was there night in and night out. And he was the guy that, like I said, it's the dirty, you need a dirty guy. You need that guy that's willing, you know what, the blood, sweat, and tears, and coach, what do you want me to do? And he was that guy.
2: So let's get into that championship run a little bit in more detail. Your second, You brought up the first-round game. Your second-round game, you play Alabama-Birmingham, and you have a stellar game where you go off for 20 points. Uh, which moves you to St. Joseph's. You run through them. But let's get to the final four. Wait, I I just want to
0: ask. For these, you're just destroying these teams. At any point, do you feel pity for them? Do you feel like maybe, hey, this is the (laughs) tournament. Let's let's let their family not feel totally embarrassed when they leave?
3: Who? Me? (laughs) 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 Just checking. Perfect answer.
2: Perfect answer. So you get to the final four. This is the like you talked about at the beginning of our conversation, that first Coach Knight team that you watched with Steve Downing, his second year where he took him to the final four. You are now in the final four. What does that feel like for you, Randy? As just a kid who grew up loving basketball and loving Indiana basketball. You're now in the final four. Are you able to enjoy it or does coach have you so focused that you're just worried about LSU? Uh,
3: both um, you're focused. Now because not, now you can now you can smell it. Uh-huh. Right? now you can smell. It. As I said, you know, you you asked me the question earlier was I did I feel pressure to live up to what prior teams did. I said, no, I, I didn't feel any pressure. I wanted, I, that's yeah. what I wanted, and so 80, we thought, ah, we have a chance, right? And eight, what happened in 80 happens. And now 81 comes and you get to the final four. You're two games away from being the 76 team, right? And uh, hoisting up a banner. And, and, and the thing that, I'll, I'll just kind of share this story a little bit jumps to, you know, we when we were at half court for the jump ball uh, before the final game against North Carolina, um, we're, we're sitting there and his referees about ready to throw the ball up. I, I said to myself, and this was at the Spectrum in Philadelphia and I sat there in awe, of looking at the eighteen thousand fans, and I said to myself, "You know what? I've been in this position a hundred times. Because as a kid, after every NCAA championship game, as far back as I can remember, I'd go to the backyard and replay the game. <laughs> I might be I might be Lou Alcindor one one year. I might be Scott May the next. You know." I just I played those games in my backyard all the time to be a national champion. And a reporter asked me after the game, "Are you nervous?" You know, leading up to the game, I said, "No." You know, and I said that. I said, "You know what?" I I I told myself, "Hell, I played in this game a hundred times already." I mm. said, "Let's let's let's, <laughs> let's go." And so it wasn't. It, it was uh. It was more anticipation then nervousness. You know, you got another week now to prepare, and there's nobody. I mean, there was nobody better if you gave him a week to prepare than Coach Knight. And um, LSU, again, coming in as a as a hot team and a very talented team. Moody Macklin yes. that was a team. Um, very talented team. But it was never one of those situations where you know, you, uh, you were nervous. Oh, they're good. It was, you know, coach had you so ready and strategically what what you were going to do. And so it was more the anticipation of getting to Philly, right, and getting the game started. And once the game started, the semifinal game, you know, you know you win that, and then you know it, it, it's you know bam bam and and and, and you're you're through it. But um, it's more. Um, you know, the focus leading up to it was great, but the anticipating of, you know what, God, we can smell it. We can smell it now. And we can begin to taste it after you beat LSU. Well, uh, real quick, though,
2: I want to just pause on the LSU game because I watched it. I watched both these games recently. That LSU game is interesting. I, I suggest any Indiana fan go back and watch it. You can find it on YouTube. LSU played very tough. And very well in that first half. And let's also remember, this is pre-shot clock. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that's a very different way to watch the game, obviously. But but LSU is scoring points in the first half. The the defense is not, is not clicking on all cylinders. And then it all changes. Do you know how many points you guys gave up to LSU in the second half of that game?
3: Mm, hold on a minute.
2: What was the final score? Sixty-seven to forty-nine was the final score.
3: Uh, no, what was what did we give up in the second half?
2: Nineteen points to LSU in the second half. They scored nineteen. You scored forty. Forty to nineteen. And the other thing I want to mention here about this game, and I'm curious if you thinking back on it, remember this? That was also a game where, especially in that second half, you saw everything that you described about Landon Turner.
3: Yeah, yeah, he
2: was lights out. Yeah. I mean he was hitting mid-range shots, finishing at the rim, defending at the rim. I mean, you saw an NBA star playing for twenty minutes on the biggest stage in college basketball, and it was it was truly, and also from a team defense perspective,
3: was just
2: sensational to watch.
3: Yeah, no, it was that. That's what I mean. I I, I don't think. And, I'm, and this is not, a not i mean, like I told you, Isaiah is by far the best player I've ever played with, hands down. And it, pros, high school, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but I don't think we win without Landon. I'm just being honest. Um, the way he was playing and the things that he could do um, it just wasn't done back in in those times. It just wasn't done by a 6'11 guy. And right um that that was that was special and and, and i he he would have been a, a multi all-star in the nba no question about it. so as if it wasn't enough to then try to get
0: ready for a national championship game <laughs> a loaded unc team The news breaks, and and I'd like to know how you found out about it and how you were kept in the loop about the decision-making process that after uh, President Reagan is shot, how how did you guys deal with that and try to keep your focus when you didn't even know if you were going to play the game as scheduled?
3: Well, that was, you know, back then you only had, you're lucky in your hotel room to get four channels on the TV, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, we, I can remember it was in the afternoon, um, and you had, I'm sure we were watching days of our lives or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and everything was, you know, schedule broke was broken into, uh, you know, with the news that the president was just shot. And first and foremost, it's like, you know, you're in shock. I mean, that's the president. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, they, they, they show him, you know, being thrust into the car and taken taken to the hospital. And that's basically kind of all you know uh, at that time, you know, there's no social media to go on Twitter and, and, you know, figure out what the hell is going on, what news is breaking or, or what. So, um, you know, it was, I remember, uh, I you know late afternoon uh the managers came to our door and said hey we we're, every we're, we we're, everything's we're just going to play it as uh you know right now we're going to you know keep our schedule pregame meal and our walk that we do when we go outside uh after pregame meal and everything was going to stay status quo unless you know something was uh something else was was changed so Leading up to getting on the bus to go to the spectrum, everything was still the same. There still was no news on the severity of of the president at that time. So um you know, we get to the we get to the spectrum and when we're changing uh and, and changing clothes and getting dressed for the game, uh uh the commissioner came in, Big Ten commissioner came in uh and talked to coach. And uh, you know, told coach that, you know, uh don't know if the game's gonna be played, the president's in surgery and we're waiting till he comes out of the surgery. If he comes out of surgery, fine, we're gonna play the game, but obviously, um, if you know, obviously if president dies or um doesn't come out that uh the game would have been postponed. So we there was a there was a period of about a half we went out and warmed up uh, our pregame stuff, but there was a period of about 15 minutes we didn't know um, whether we were going to play or not, but then he came out of surgery, and and everything was fine, and they came in and said, you know, we're going to play. Wow. Well, the game starts off
2: somewhat similar to LSU in that UNC goes up, and again, like Ward said, stacked UNC team, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Dean Smith, great coach. Uh, They go up 16 to 8. Uh, and and start to gain some momentum. And then, again, it just something switches in the game, as, as often happens in the game of basketball. Indiana grabs the momentum. And maybe one of the biggest plays in the game, because UNC had been up the entire game, the entire first half, was right at the end of the first half. Can you walk us through that last play of the end of the first half, what you remember about it?
3: Yeah, that was, you know, we finally felt the momentum change. I, I, you know, I believe we got down 16 to eight or or something of that nature early. I mean, uh, North Car- and we had played North Carolina in Chapel Hill earlier that year and they, they beat us pretty good um, in, in Chapel Hill. And uh, uh, you know, they, they came out, uh, you know, playing, playing well and it just, you know, again, it's, it, it, there's not one thing um that kind of you know it just we 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 worked ourselves into the game if that makes any sense you know mm-hmm. you you you, you sure. we got into a flow from what can we take away defensively to slow them down a little bit and you see that it did and then our momentum started to change and um you know we have a ha- an opportunity we got the possess last possession of the uh of the half uh, and Isaiah having the ball, and up to that point, Isaiah really, um, you know, when we were struggling a little bit, this was one of the, you know, he took took over the game for us from a scoring standpoint to get us going in that first half, and, um, you know, he had the ball with the clock going down, and, and he, um, I mean, we all thought that, you know, he was going to try to break break down jimmy black um and and take him uh take him to the basket and he just took one dribble like he was going to attack the rim and they were playing off of everybody else and i was in the in the right hand corner uh and he just i mean bullet pass to me uh in the corner and and i was able to knock down the shot as the horn sounded and we ran into into the locker room with with the lead, so
4: um,
3: it was a big, you know, the momentum had started to shift, but then you, you know, you knock down a shot like that, um, doesn't matter who it is, you walk into the locker room feeling, you know, really good about, uh, you know, where you're at now, and, you know, now it's, you know, a little bit of the same, you know, hey, boys, you know, the opportunity is there for us, right, what are we going to do with it? are we going to waste it or are we going to take advantage of this opportunity and you don't and guys listen you might think you're going to get here every year this might be your last chance to win a national championship and so um those were kind of the words said to us as as we went out for the second half
2: well the opportunity that you took advantage of was going on a 55 to 34 run after it was 15 to 8 to win Indiana's fourth national championship Coach Knights second. Obviously, your team's first. You are forever immortalized in college basketball history and become instant legends at Indiana University for being able to put up that fourth banner for the school. Just try as much as you can, Randy, to just tell us in the moments after that or when you knew you had the game in hand, what in the world does that feel like? <laughs>
3: Um, it feels like yesterday. Now that you guys bring it up, I mean, it's just, um, no, it's incredible. Um, it, and it was, you know, you could see as as, as the half, second half wore on, you know, Dean and his is his half court run and jump press. Um, they they're going to try that, which for them and Dean Smith, that was always a, a staple of closing out games for them. Their ability. Um, to run and jump uh, in the half court, but the thing that that they forgot, and which was coach was again brilliant at, um, you know they they just figured that we'll get the ball out of Isaiah's hands and, and make somebody else beat us. And when the very first time that they went to that run and jump uh, half court trap, coach took the ball out of Isaiah's hands and he told me and Jimmy Thomas to bring it up and he put Isaiah in the middle of the free throw line with Landon and Ray down on the baseline and as soon as they came and ran and jumped one of us we were able to hit Isaiah in the middle of the floor for a 3 on 2 at the rim and it was just game over it was uh you know layups to dunks to little floaters that um, that's still the game, and now you're just watching the clock tick. And as everybody in, in March Madness, it's it's undescribable because you know the game is over, you know you've won, but you got to hold your composure a little bit uh, till that actual horn sounds. And it's uh, you know I always get heckled about uh, when the when the horn sounded, and uh, you know you try to leap for joy and I wasn't a big leaper Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you know what it's just um it's just it's incredible I I I, it's it's just so hard to put into words because you know as a kid from Indiana I I dreamed of that day and I played that game a hundred times in my backyard and I remember throwing the ball up in the air um, as high as I could when the final horn sounds. And so you, all those things come back to you, and you're almost like a chicken with your head cut off trying to find somebody. You're almost like Jim Valvano. Yeah. Right? Trying to mm. find somebody to hug. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, back in those days, I mean, you know, I mean, I can remember my, family we even got on the on the court. Um so it was, you know, to share that and have that, um uh is just something you never forget.
0: So you you come back to Bloomington national champions. I'm sure the rest of that semester was was just like living a dream, uh not nearly uh as much uh being yelled at by Coach Knight and knowing that you did something that would be remembered forever. Um but unfortunately that summer Uh, turns around uh, into one of the the great tragedies in Indiana University basketball history. How did you hear about Landon's accident, and can you kind of just talk us through um, what the team did, what the coaches did, when you got to see Landon, and and how that whole tragedy unfolded?
3: Uh, Well, yeah, it... it, um I, I mean, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it, it was, school was out and, um, uh, I was, uh, I was out in Indianapolis with some high school friends and came home, you know, midnight or so. And in my mom and dad's house. And, um, I thought it was odd that, uh, that my mother was up, um, and she was still up, and uh I could tell uh, you know right away that um somebody passed is is was my first you know whether it's my grandmother or uh, something something was not right, and she you know told me to sit down and broke the news that she just you know got a call that that uh you know at that time uh you didn't know the severity of it um, that Landon was in a automobile accident and was rushed, you know, to the hospital and is in uh, critical condition. So it's shock, um, number one. Um, and, uh, you know, then as the days were on and you find out that he's paralyzed with, you know, fractured neck, um, it's, you know, you're, you're just, uh, you're numb. I, I just remember being numb for a long time. Uh you know, the joy of winning and, and like I said, and I mean he being he being a part of it and the future that it held. And at that time we didn't know you know, we didn't know if Isaiah was turning pro. Um and you know, you know, you're just thinking about winning the national championship and can we win it again next year? And, um, uh, you know, you just news like that hits you and all that's forgotten. And you just, uh, you know, it's, it, it was hard. It was hard for me, um, to, to witness that. And then, uh, you know, we weren't able to see the scene for the longest time because of the severity of the, accident and being in ICU and the halo and and not being able to move. But, um, you know, it was, it was, he was incredible. That's the one thing I just remember. Um, The first time we were able to see him in the hospital, um, the one thing that just stands out to me, I'm the one with tears in my eyes and I'm thinking, Jesus, the hell. I mean, this guy's stronger than I am. And he's the one laying in the bed. And that was the one thing that just stood out for me, that Landon was, was really, he, I I think he could see, and he knew where he was at and what had happened, but you know what he was, he was trying to comfort us. And, and that was the thing that I always remembered as told him, um, you know, you were, we were there to comfort you and yet you ended up comforting us and, Not very many people can do that in that situation. So, um, you know, Landon, you know, I I, I just, you know what, it's certain things happen to certain people, and, you know, uh, could I handle it the way Landon has in his life? I I don't know if I could. And that's a credit to him that each and every day that he's he's made a life for himself and has continued living. And that's the thing I think I tell people all the time is you know sometimes we think maybe things are dire uh and things don't go your way, but you know what you're 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 still living and breathing and make the most of what you have, and he has done that to at and more, and uh you know that's just all that that's just something that uh you know. always stay with me. You always wonder why things like that happen, but that, you know, things happen for a reason. And I think he's, he's helped a lot of people along the road with the same type of injury show that life goes on and you can't feel sorry for yourself and you got to, you got to pick yourself up and, and, and keep living. And he's done that. And we talk about how much Indiana basketball means
0: to us as fans and people around the state of Indiana. How heartening was it to see, uh, you know, coach leading the charge on this, but that fundraisers and events all over the state of Indiana ended up raising over a half a million dollars to help Landon moving forward. How how did that feel to know that your fan base had your back as players?
3: It wasn't shocking. I mean, we got the best fans, right? Still today. I mean, you, you guys were there for when, we came out on the floor against purdue um I mean it's still there it wasn't shocking it was it was gratifying uh to see the state of indiana uh help the way they did and you know that was that was all coach i mean um, you know we would we would ride up together. Uh, at times from Bloomington to the hospital and Landon spent a a long time there and it was just, you could see, um, he was going to do whatever he could to make life for Landon moving forward, uh, as easy as he could try to make it. And his idea was, you know, obviously to raise enough money um you know for 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 him and his family and uh, uh moving forward to to not have to worry about the little things a uh, uh, electronic wheelchair or a a uh, a handicap uh, accessible van things of that nature that that coach was thinking right from the beginning and um those are the things that people don't talk about um you know with with coach and that wasn't somebody that was all him and you know he he would do it for for any one of us and to see him you know do it and be in that mode and the the, the fans of indiana the state you know getting behind landing during during those times and the fundraising was was spectacular so randy we have the year
2: then that follows that in, in 81, 82, and then just a stellar 82, 83 season, your last at Indiana, Ted Kitchell's last at Indiana that results in an amazing big 10 championship. And also uh, really where you come into your own as just a premier offensive basketball player that then of course leads you to a very successful NBA career. Unfortunately, you can see we talk a lot, and we don't want to <laughs> rush through that. So no, my question fine. for you is we would love to end it here and then pick up your last two years at Indiana and then your professional career in a second part somewhere down the road if you're Absolutely. okay with that.
3: I, that's great. Yeah, because I I've, yeah, I can oh. do that because I just looked at the clock. What have we been doing? <laughs> We're an hour 45 <laughs> in.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's do
3: that. Can, All right, we well, do Randy, that. before we
2: go, I just gotta say, man, you know how much I've been wanting to do this with you. I grew up I was born in seventy seven and I grew up with my dad telling me how great Randy Whitman was and how just ideal of an Indiana University basketball player you were, and because of that, I followed your career in the pros and as a coach and Ward and I had the pleasure of being there uh, for the Purdue game where you brought coach back. And then I got the honor to meet you for a couple minutes at Nick's that night. And it is just an absolute privilege and honor to talk to somebody who is so meaningful to Indiana basketball and Indiana basketball fans. Uh, I just can't thank you enough for everything you've done for all of us.
3: Well, thanks. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Um, yep. There's special times and, and, uh, ones we uh, never forget and we can continue to remember. Let's, let's hope we can, uh, we can get some uh, memories uh, moving forward with, uh, with the, this team moving forward.
4: Hysterics? Hysterics?
2: I, I mean, I, you said it at the very beginning and I'm glad you did. We We don't ever plan what we're going to say, but you called him a legend and he is. And, You know, YouTube didn't exist in 1978 to 1983. But my God, look at his performances. Look at the numbers. Look at the wins. Three Big Ten titles and bringing Coach Knight back. It's just, uh, I just can't get enough of hearing these guys talk about their time.
0: And oh yeah, and in between there, he played in the NBA and he coached in the NBA I mean, like, I can't wait for the next one, too, because it's like, oh, all right. You started off playing on the Hawks with Dominique Spudweb and Doc Rivers. You know, it's just it doesn't end with this guy. And to know that he has been an Indiana Hoosier from the time he started watching those night teams play, even before he got there. And he's like, yeah, that's my spot. He could have played on any team in the country. But he's like, no, that's my jam. That's what I want to be a part of. No, I'm not worried about living in those guys' shadow. I want to be, I want to put a banner right next to theirs. I want it. Dogs.
2: Yeah, I, it's awesome. And you're right about how he talked about seeing that 75 team and was like, I'm in. It's exactly how we would be if we had the ability to play basketball, right? Like, Yeah, combined, it's like he was a fan before he was an Indiana University basketball player. And he treated it as such. He wanted to fulfill the legacy and to keep it going. Um, And he's obviously just a supremely uh, confident and self-assured and intelligent guy that it's just so much fun to hear his insight about you know, coach and what he was like behind the scenes. And, and well, you mentioned his,
0: his confidence, right? And we, we always go back to the quality of these men that played for coach Knight, And it does make me wonder, obviously coach saw that in them in, in their parents in the way they were raised, but how much of it is a, is a result Of the time they spent with coach when he's like, if you're going for that job at Eli Lilly against some other guy, I want you to get it. And so how much he molded them into these guys who went out and had very successful careers in many different fields and then uh, have have the the generosity of their time to share with us and the listeners of okay, these are the men that Coach Knight helped shape. And, man, they are impressive. And, and they inspire me to want to carry some of that swagger and determination into the rest of, of my life beyond having these awesome conversations with them.
2: Couldn't, couldn't agree more. It's, uh, you know, one thing we didn't get to talk to him about, maybe we can in the next one, because he clearly got to do this in the pros many times. But one thing I wanted to ask him about his freshman year at in Indiana, he got to play against Magic Johnson three times. Oh. With Magic yeah. Johnson on Michigan State. I don't think that's ever come up on our podcast. You're right. It hasn't. Um, and Michigan State played in the Big Ten. like You know, it's one of the greatest, what, five basketball players to ever play the game. And I, I want to get, you know, Randy's perspective of playing against him both in college and then, and then in the pros. But but again, back to your point about who coach recruited, I'm telling you, you go down that 79-80 team and you have, like, extremely successful lawyers, extremely successful business people, well, NBA on the, executives, on coaches. the coaches.
0: On the championship team, we didn't bring it up with him, 10 guys got drafted. Right. And, and I know you were alluding to... Some of those guys went on to have very successful careers beyond basketball. But just the fact that 10 of those guys got drafted, when was the last time an Indiana team, you know, and, and obviously well, we're, all, we're all drafted at the same time, but you had 10 players go pro. Yeah, I'm not
2: sure there are many teams that ever, <laughs> ever have had that many. But But again, back to the genius of Coach Knight, there is no doubt there was talent on that team, no doubt. But Isaiah was, a, was an all-star in the NBA, right. one of the top 50 players. Randy had an incredible NBA career. I think he had a 12-year NBA career. A yep. few seasons in there, averaging over double digits. But Coach assembled parts and made the whole greater than the sum of the parts. Cadillac. And, made it a Cadillac. Made it a And took really good parts but made it go even beyond where those individual pieces should have gone. And they were a true team. And it's just so much fun to connect to these eras that we just kind of heard stories about. It was right as we were kind of coming into conscious beings in the late 70s, early 80s. And I just love hearing the insight and can't wait to to hear more from them.
0: Okay, well... Let's uh, let's wrap this up and just leave everybody in great anticipation for whenever we get to have that second conversation.
2: Follow us on Twitter
0: at Hoosier Hysterics for the Hysterics,
2: no e, no i. But sometimes, sometimes why? why.
0: <laughs> it's there. hard when we're not in the same room.
2: Definitely got a little harder on that
0: one.
4: You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.